0: Podcast 016. Interview with Maddie Harland of Permaculture Magazine. Sponsored by my buddies at com. Uh, they sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. All right. So, yes. um, I'm here with uh, doing, doing my podcast-rooney with uh, Maddie Harland who is the supreme ruler of Permaculture Magazine and a whole bunch of books and stuff in Permacultureville in England. And, of course, you know, I I think you could even stake a claim to a much larger segment of the whole world um, for for publications. I mean, man, sitting on top of a pile of books that are like the the, the creme de la creme. Um, So, uh, uh, hi, Maddie.
1: Hello there, Paul.
0: And and so uh yeah, so so Maddie talks funny because she's from England. I
1: do. I'm <laughs> and from of the course, South of England. <laughs> so They're very well spoken.
0: And, and I of course don't talk funny at all.
2: No. no you're normal.
0: <laughs> Everybody talks like me. So uh except except for you of course. <laughs> now uh we were talking just a moment ago uh about the Mighty, the Glorious, the amazing Sepp Holzer. And, um, uh, and and I, I really liked you were you were saying something about how you were visiting with him when he was spending some time in in Portugal, and it sounded like it might have been a a dry spot in Portugal
1: yes, it was on what 's called the Iberian Peninsula, which is right down in the in the South. Uh, west of Portugal, it's actually the furthest um, side out towards America indeed it's one of the the landfall points that's the the last point in Europe before we cross the Atlantic and get to you guys, and um, the Iberian Peninsula is a very interesting place, it's one of the most depopulated places in Europe because everybody has basically left And gone to the cities to make a living, and um, what's left is a very fragile, arid environment where um, people try and make a living from grazing sheep. But um, inevitably, you know, they're overstocking sheep, so the um, the landscape is overgrazed. um, It's very, very arid. There's very, very low rainfall particularly in the summer if you think about extremely hot Mediterranean, um, well not Mediterranean, but, but very hot um, southern Europe. And then uh, not only that, but um, in the winter they get reasonable amounts of rainfall, although it has, it has fallen in the last 50 years. So what happens is the sheep come in, they overgraze, they damage the The um, flora of the place, they trample it all down so it's compacted and then you get seriously um, big amounts of rainfall in the winter And, and so the topsoil just goes into the winterborne streams and washes down the valleys and into the sea. So they have this awful combination of soil compaction, overgrazing, and that's causing the dying off of the indigenous um, trees, which are cork oak, because the wine industry doesn't want to buy cork anymore, it's using plastic. And these cork oak forests, which are sort of ancient traditional Portuguese forests, were home of one of the few wild cats that we have left in Europe, which is the Iberian lynx, and another very, very rare species called the Bonelli eagle. And these are both species that are almost extinct in this area of Portugal. Um, so it's a very, very fragile environment. And to this place, um, a group of German people mainly... Decided to come and create a community mainly because the land is cheap um, and it has huge potential there. So they have come and there's about a hundred of them. It's called Tamira and they've set up what they call a peace village. Um, But one of the key constituents of how they're working is with permaculture and. They looked around their landscape and thought, well, the biggest problem we've got here, besides the lo- loss of forest cover is um, and, and the loss of topsoil, is that it's so dry we can't j- grow anything. So who is our man to talk to? <laughs> uh, that, of course, is Mr. Grandiose lake builder extraordinaire, Seth Holzer, who is a mind-blowing guy. He is just... Wild, I love him. He's a big bear of an Austrian German man, um, and he's got a heart of gold.
0: So uh, I, I, I'd like to get. Just, I'm so excited about what you saw Sep doing there. Yeah. And I just, and so for the folks that are listening, I, I want to try and paint a verbal picture. So you're okay. standing there and you're looking around, and, uh, uh, and so visually. How dry is it? Is it like sand dunes, like you you see in Lawrence of Arabia, or uh... it's it's not a it's
1: not a Sahara desert, but it is um, what happens to the landscape is when it's overgrazed, it the scab that mends the the loss of um, flora is an inedible plant called a, a rock rose, which is a sister species. It's a, a flowering plant, but it's completely inedible, and it's often the first plant to colonise that landscape after wildflower. So if you imagine a landscape where 90% of the cork forests are dying, where the, traditionally people tend to plough on the terraces... Um, under the core coats which are dying because they're frightened of, of the rock rose burning and them losing the remnants of these ancient forests that they've got left. Or you've got hillsides just covered in monocultures of this this rock rose, this sister species. So it's like an incredibly dry landscape, but you know, there are remnants of of green, particularly in winter. But the main thing is is it's so infertile because all the best soil just in in the winter range just washes down um, the valley and goes down, down into the rivers and the rivers are brown and then it goes out to sea. So all the nutrients are just being constantly lost from this landscape. And that's why um, most of the rural people have left because... They've exhausted their agriculture. It's a kind of Albert Bates story, really, it, it, the author of The Biochar Solution, which I have to say is one of my all-time favourite books uh, written by a permaculturist. Just a little plug for him. I, yeah, I'm not on a, a wage from him or anything like that, but it is an inspirationally written book. It's brilliant. And it's all about, in part, these agricultural systems that have just run out of time. And how to remediate them, but it's how That sounds boring, but it's it's like a fabulous adventure through Conquestador South America and across the world. You know, it's a swashbuckling book. But anyway, that's an aside. So you've got back to <laughs> Portugal. You've got this incredibly arid landscape, very very poor, um, with a 90% die-off of its traditional um, cork oaks, and and what set done is the tamaran community have said come on over and he has completely transformed their landscape it is you know I I'm a journalist right so I I've watched their webcam of their first lake filling up and I thought oh you know great but it's not It's going to be a pond and it's probably going to be pretty muddy by the end of the summer. You know, I had a good dose of scepticism before I went there. Um, And I have to say that I was so deeply impressed by what they're doing. The first thing they did was they stopped the overgrazing on the hillside um, and they stopped ploughing, the practice of ploughing the terraces so they wanted to first of all focus on building loads and loads of your favorite thing google beds um so they wanted to build they built you know there are google beds everywhere i've never seen a landscape so full of raised beds
2: full. and these
0: are new these, these are newer they've got and some age on them
1: this is the last three years of google beds they're building them all the time um, you know, it's because it's, they the oldest.
0: What's the oldest one you saw?
1: Gosh, I, I think probably about four years old. You know, putting used up. They, they. Like t-
0: how tall was it? Oh,
1: how tall? Um, not massively tall. Not as exciting. You know, usually that Sep in his pictures they're about five foot tall. Um, these guys, these guys are a bit. Bits more, a couple of feet tall, you know, they, and, the, and as they've planted them, they, they've sunk. But Sets also built these fantastic edible towers. Uh, and actually, we uh, wrote, a, wrote about how he builds them in the latest issue of Permaculture magazine, which I'll the come back to calls, later.
0: The things he, he calls the sausages? He, those things um, that are like wrapped in black felt, he calls them sausages?
1: Yeah, they're kind of like teepee edible beds full of trash and scavenged trap, uh, scrap material. And he built a lot in Colombia for the landless poor who had lots of trash but no land. But anyway, just, I'll just finish this bit. So what you see is you walk into this community, you see raised beds everywhere full of annual and perennial vegetables by the banks of, of the... The lakes that they've built from damming their winterborne stream, you, they, they've planted all sorts of varieties of fruit and nut trees, not so much citrus, because Sep would always be looking to add value. And citrus, of course, in Portugal is traditional crop, so he'd be looking at them planting almonds and plums and, you know, Figs, all sorts of fruiting trees that um, are not necessarily common currency in the area. Because you know he's always looking towards this economic cycle as well as the ecological cycle. And what they've done is they dammed this Winterbourne stream that only runs as it. As, as the word says it, in winter. And they, they're gradually building up an interconnected system of lakes. The one at the bottom of their valley is big. Um, and then as you progressively go up the valley, they are smaller. But you know, by smaller, we're talking about you know, quite large expanses of bodies of water. You know, we're talking about a quarter-of-a-mile lake, you know, significant in time to actually walk around it. And it's absolutely unbelievable, and this is living water, because the way he designs it so, is so that the surfaces ripple. And he's, he's, they're full of frog and fish, which keep the balance between humans and mosquitoes, which is very important in in that kind of climate. Um, so the fish and the frogs eat the mosquito larvae and, and don't eat the humans and so the, the Tamirans don't have a big problem with malarial born disease. And you look at these lakes and literally they are living rippling systems of water. And what I loved about him was this the way he cupped his hands and he said to me, God has given us enough water all we have to do is find a way to hold it in the landscape. So, you know, for him, it's so simple. What we would think was the complex engineering project that we might flow, throw bricks and cement and concrete at and all sorts of modern technological resources. Seth just knows where to dam the stream in the landscape and where to you know, put the clay liner and he only lines one wall of the dam and then the rest of the dam just fills up and becomes a lake. So See, and that's, they've the done
0: that's the first time I've heard of him using clay liner or or well, uh, introducing clay to a pond. Yeah. Um, I've always heard of him as building all of his ponds by using just the materials that are that are right there. But you yeah. saw him using clay or he talked about using clay?
1: He did, but he, he, he talked about just kind of having a lozenge at the bottom of the dam of, of, of clay because it's quite a stony, arid environment and, and that was purely there just to capture it because it needed to be there. But, but this is three years of, of damming, okay? And I got up one morning and the early morning mists were arising out of, out of the lakes and and into the air and leaving their dew all on these surrounding hugel beds around the lake, which of course never have to be watered, and, you know, putting the dew onto the trees. And and I watch swallows swooping and drinking, and they tell me that otters have come back to the area. And I saw new springs beginning to spring up in the hillside near the lakes. And even a Benelli's eagle, which is almost extinct in that area of, of uh, Portugal, had come back the, the summer before to check it out. And I thought, well, you know, ne- next time it will have a mate and it will set up its own, you know, home there. And, and that is a remarkable ecological in- indicator that you are recreating you know, top-class habitat for, um, uh, you know, birds at the top of their food chain. And um, the whole landscape, I could see the whole landscape being re-aquified, and they told me that the old cork oats, they can't save them because the mycorrhizal connections in the roots are so damaged that, that they doubt. They'll say that the old cork oaks, but the new ones, the the newer saplings are putting on significant growth. And you can see the growth patterns of before the (coughs) lake, and then in year one of the lakes, year two and year three. And and you see the growth patterns are just sort of expanding. They're they're doubling, tripling the sort of beneficial relationship of water- and and plants is just compounding and compounding until you've got this real effect that's building in the landscape. And for me I, I mean I found it quite an emotional experience because as I said I'd gone there to meet Sepp Holzer because I'm a publisher and we've published, we bought the rights to one of his books in German and spent some time translating the book, which is Sepp Holzer's po- Permaculture. So I went there to, you know, make friends with one of our authors and just to see his work rather than just read about it or watch it on the film. And I was deeply moved by the power of the transformation of that landscape and also the story that we can regenerate even the most damaged, impoverished and arid lands. And we can do it in three years if we understand
2: how to I, do it.
0: I, I have to admit, uh, so when, when Sepp came to the United States and and I spent 12 and a half days um, with him, hearing him tell his stories and and, uh, and I saw the pictures that he brought with him of the stuff that he did in Spain, which sounds yes. similar. And my understanding is is that the annual rainfall um, for the place in Spain was three inches per year. And he brought back lakes, much like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And that the landscape was mostly sand, uh, a little bit of um, um, some sparse grasses here and there, and these dying oak trees, which sounds very similar to what you're describing. Yeah. And um, uh, uh, so he brought the lakes back. He introduced huguculture. And, um, and it's like when I try to tell people the story of of what SEP did, I I get, uh, of course, I get the people that are the permaculture people that, are, that know that it can be done. And they're like, that is awesome. That is incredible. I'd love to see it someday. Mm-hmm. And then there's the people who um, are totally sold on um, conventional agriculture and... Um, they say it didn't happen. Um, it's a lie. It's made up. It's fiction. It's it's like uh, it's like we staged the moon landing kind of thing, you know. Like oh, it never happened. You're making it up. And um, I, I, you know, at first they say oh, they get a lot of rainfall. I say oh, it's three inches of rainfall a year. It's a, it's a desert. It's a, it's really a desert. And. Um, I uh, I just I so now I have a powerful need like, oh, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna pop over to Portugal, you know, from Montana and uh and, and take some video or something like that. Now here we are in Montana where I'm at, it's mountain desert and Sepulcher is coming here in about a year. He'll be here the first of May two thousand twelve. Mm-hmm. And uh and so we've got a desert and so I'll hopefully we'll get him to demonstrate. Himself. But the but the important thing is, is there you were and I'm thinking that that's the gold right there. That's the thing that would make, that would shut all these people up. Is, is like, here's a hugel culture bed, and you can recognize plants in it that, that your, your, um, uh, most of your gardeners would be able to spot and say, oh, I recognize that. That's a tomato yeah. plant. Well,
1: yeah. Uh, so many broad beans. They, they were growing a massive amount of broad beans. It was um, late February, so it's a much warmer climate than the UK. And the main crop that was coming into flower was broad beans. Um, but he'd also... The other thing he did was he he's... Um, instead of ploughing the terraces with these cork oaks, he, he, he had a couple of pigs that he'd brought in. And um, he was getting them to plough in sections. And then he was planting... Um, trees, tra- planting trees and, and vegetables and bringing the pigs off and moving them on. So, tra- tractoring the land in, in small lots with a t- couple of little piggies, lovely little Austrian fellas. Very, actually, <laughs> that's not true. Actually, let me stop being naughty because um, they were traditional Portuguese piggies, very handsome little fellas, though. I really like them. Um, and, of course, Sepp, in his farm would bring these boys up and uh, fatten the fellas up and get them to plough his land and treat them extremely well and then eat them, but the Tamirans are vegetarian so these guys are going to live with them and do their tractoring and, and live long and healthy lives
0: I have to tell a story, a sepulcher story, and, and I know that this should really be, I should get as much from you as I can, but I just can't stop myself, and I'm that obnoxious. And hey, so, look, well,
1: we can we can chat another time. There are many
0: stories. <laughs> There's many stories. We can do this again.
1: Absolutely. So, let's hear your story.
0: Okay. I. Uh, so, it was the first time I ever met him face-to-face, and I was so excited, and there was a room full of about 70 people, and he... Uh, um, he stands up at the front of the room, and we just got through watching one of the new videos with him in it, and um, and he's 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 asking he's answering questions. So um, it was in Tacoma, Washington, and uh, he is uh, uh um, he, well one of the problems that they have the Tacoma, Washington area and this whole area Seattle, Tacoma, around in there. Is is blackberries the Himalayan blackberries have moved in and and they'll they'll get to be 15 feet tall and they'll just take over an area um, and they will be solid blackberry vines yeah and so um, so somebody asked well well what do you do if if you've got a big patch of blackberries how do you get rid of it and he said put a strand of electric around it and put pigs in there mm-hmm. next question and so somebody at the back and I know I'm going to make this sound like an awful voice but this is exactly what this guy sounded like. He said, uh, yeah, um, I'm a vegetarian, and I'm not going to raise pigs, so um, what do I do to control blackberries? And Sepp says, then you must do the pigs' work. Next question. That that was my story. I I thought it was awesome. It was one of my most favorite Sepp Holzer moments ever. But I like the idea that here's a group of people that are vegetarians, and they are happy to bring pigs in to, to to do the work and And you know what? if you've got a really sandy soil, um, pigs are going to help to make that soil retain water and retain nutrients just by the shape of their hooves on, on the surface of the soil and the rooting that they do
2: yeah. it's, okay. it's kind of weird.
0: That's how you can seal a pond is by running pigs in it. Yeah. And and when you've got soil that's just way too letting water run through it way too easy, that's mm-hmm. a great way of doing it. So anyway, sorry, Maddie, <clears throat> I just I had know, to tell my good. little story. I like
1: that story.
0: I'm 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 very excited to hear more of this. I mean, it sounds like it's very much like the things that he did in Spain. I'm not sure how far away the Portugal spot is from the Spain spot where he did his work, but this is the, the stuff you're saying. I I think is just golden.
2: Well,
1: do you have pictures? Good. I do have pictures, indeed. Yes, I do. Is it in
0: one of the ep- one of the issues of Permaculture um, Magazine?
1: I have published. I did a page of this this kind of sausage vertical bed, um, but if you want to see the lakes, you you just go to www.tamira.org and Tamira is spelled T-A-M-E-R-A, okay. and it's. It's a it's a kind of fairly cosmic e- eco village, um, and they do a lot of um, peace work there, and they they work closely with people from um, Colombia in South America and other uh, and also in the Middle East. They do all sorts of interesting sort of social permaculture stuff, as well as the you know on the ground. Food growing, Hugel culture, lake building stuff. You know, they're an interesting group of people.
0: So there's pictures on the website of the lakes, but you're not sure about the Hugel culture beds.
1: The Hugel culture? God, I mean, they probably they probably do. I mean, they probably do. I haven't I haven't <laughs> checked lately. I mean, I took pictures of Hugel culture beds, of course. We've even got well. a lovely article. Build a Hugel culture
0: on, on, our ma- on our website as well. So, so now, because I, I think what would be of tremendous value is to have a picture of a Hugel culture bed that's three or four years old with plants yeah. growing out of it that are the kinds of plants that you would recognize from a regular garden. And then you okay. would say, here we are in a desert, here's the, yeah. the garden plants growing out of this Hugel culture bed. And we have not irrigated this one speck. I, I think that that would be a Kodak moment. That would be yeah. something really wonderful to, to have as, as like a poster child for permaculture, really.
1: Yeah. Okay, I'll go and
0: look at our photo library, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll get hold of
2: one for you, and I'll send it to you. Write oh, you a it wonderful. It. I'd love yeah. to have that. Yeah. <laughs> i all I'm kinds of things it,
0: it will be my favourite picture
1: oh how all right. and the other thing he does though Paul is that he sticks whacking great big tree trunks in his lakes as well as you know and it's not only his habitat for the fish to hide under but it also he says that big rocks and big tree stunts stop evaporation
0: they they stop Evaporation? evaporation,
1: because surface evaporation in, in a climate as hot as Portugal is significant. But he, he says, you know, wherever you have big rocks, you have this capacity to hold water. So he, he puts as many big rocks and whacking great the trunks of, you know, tree into his lakes as possible.
0: Huh. Wow. I, I didn't know that because see now I always thought that part of it is is that you're going to put big rocks into your shallow ponds um, mm-hmm. with you know specifically the ones that kind of stick out a little bit in order to help warm the pond because on I my understanding is on his property he's got uh, uh, two kinds of ponds he's got hot ponds and cold ponds so he's got some ponds where he's trying to keep the water really really cold. And then he's got other ponds where he's trying to get the water really, really warm.
1: Well, if you think about it, now he's in Austria in an alpine environment. Now, where he is in Portugal, he's in a very hot environment. So, what he's doing is exactly the same thing, but by putting in these big
2: masses
1: into the pond, he's moderating the temperature so that it doesn't get too hot in the summer. And and that's another issue so that the deep part of the dam, right down where the the dam wall is in the lowest part of the valley, that water is always going to stay the same temperature all year round. So you might lose some of the, um, you know, a couple of feet around the margins, but the deep, deep water is still going to be um, constant in temperature. And that way you create a stable habitat for the fish, and it's growing sturgeon. There's going to be caviar in Port- Portugal. Could you imagine it? <laughs> this vegetarian community is going to have caviar coming out of its ears. <laughs> well,
0: I, I think just by having a, an oasis in the desert, I would think that that would do amazing things for them I, I, as far as economic viability goes. I mean, if you think about it um, uh, what what an amazing place to come and and stay i I would imagine in, in, in fact, economic viability in permaculture is something that that I uh, talk to a lot of people about uh, regularly but 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 if not, uh, and, and so i 'm just kind of my, my mind is reeling with like i, I don 't know i guess i 'm a wicked American. Uh, money-making opportunities, now, uh, not only from the caviar and, the, and everything else, but it just seems like but well, it, that might not be their thing, really, at that particular well, community. It's the, but Their
1: the, the deep mission is to find um, peaceful ways of coexisting, mm-hmm. to address the inner violence in, in all of us so that we, we create peace in our personal lives in the microcosm and as we do that that spreads out into the macrocosm that is one of the essences of what these guys are about um so i doubt they'd be flogging caviar but Sep, bless him has actually told them that they need to design into their landscape a big coach park because they are going to have so many visitors want to come and see what they're doing in, in a few years' time and I don't doubt him whatsoever, you know, because it is extraordinary. These are big, big lakes in an arid in an arid landscape. And and, What's a and Oh, I beg your pardon. Now what is the word in America where you you know like a greyhound bus, sort of a big okay. bus okay. that Okay, so a tour bus that people hire and go on day trips. Okay, so okay. He's, he's saying to these guys, come on, you know, build the car park big enough for a hundred visitors in one bus at one time. And, you know, you need to think about the fact that a lot of people are going to come and see you because this is going to be sensational. And it will be. It will be. It will be an extraordinary example of earth restoration. And it, it is already. I,
0: I think that one of the most powerful things that SEP brings to the table... And the reason why I think that SEP is going to change the world more than anybody else alive today is that soon our grocery stores, and, and for me, I think of the United States, a United States grocery store, soon it will carry um, Holzer style food as opposed to the food, the conventional food that it carries now. Not because anybody is on any kind of save the earth trip or anything like that, but entirely because uh uh they make more money the farmer makes more money and i think seps sep especially in his most recent book the one that you translated um uh the seb permaculture it it uh he's he's very much he started with the idea of how can i get agri- how can i make more money with agriculture by being more aligned with nature and have basically have nature do my work and, and and this is where he's ended up with is is now a farmer can make ten to a hundred times more money per year take home pay than he's currently making using his techniques. And and yes, here's this community, it's it, and so Sepp's there basically saying, you know, you can you can do so much and, and you know what, if their mission is well we're not about making money then well, they hey, spread the word
1: but they're not impractical and that's exactly what they're about is sharing knowledge and um but what interested me i said to you that he didn't they hadn't planted you know i hardly saw any citrus no lemons no oranges of course that's a traditional crop and, and i kind of thought oh this is interesting they're not you know that landscape grows citrus you know while we're all without you actually having to do anything. But of course, Sepp has got them to plant chestnuts and um, almonds and fig and all sorts of different plants and gauges and peaches. And, And he's deliberately diversified their food sources so that if they need to go to market in 10 years' time to sell their surplus, they'll have something that isn't you know, common. If they went to market with a whole load of lemons and and tangerines now, you know, they'd be there with every other raw farmer. Um but what he's doing is he's he's looking at how can these people not only feed themselves but diversify their income. How can they plan for the tourists that will come and see their lakes? And you know, if they were um not a vegetarian community they would have they would have caviar, they would have Um, all different types of fish as well that they could they could i mean he's talking about introducing trout into the system now and and as you know trout again a bit like eagles and lynxes that's top of the fish food chain so if you've got an environment that's clean enough pristine enough for, for trout then you know that you've got an incredibly um healthy ecology and and that's his next step you know he's put the bottom feeders in and now he's thinking about trout which will be very exciting
0: which is kind of a big part of what sepp seems to do wherever he goes he's got like the the midas touch in a way but instead of gold it's green it's it's amazing how where he goes it 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 uh, you thought it was like okay before and then sepp gets there and he turns it into a jungle And um, and it's like you know, and and you know, uh, hats off too. As long as we're talking about the work of that Sepp has done and and greening the desert, Mm -hmm. there's you know, hats off to Jeff Lawton. Hats off to um, that 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 fella that's uh, oh, why does Willie Smits and Borneo. Um, there have been some amazing stories in the last few years about the power of permaculture and uh but I still think that SEP is at the top of the heap. I mean I've never um, uh although I, I I think part of it could be that I haven't heard enough about Willie Smiths yet. Um, and uh but Jeff Lawton is is certainly um, uh getting around and making a lot of big changes, but uh I I think we need to get more uh um, more documentation of of SEPs accomplishments and desertified areas, and uh, I think that'll that'll be powerfully persuasive. And 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 people who are thinking, oh, I have to irrigate, um, and then you know we can show them no that no, they don't. Um, so Maddie, oh, we've got this list of stuff to talk okay. about. I'm, I'm okay. glad that this. All right, uh, uh, Permaculture Magazine. You yes. just you just cranked out another issue. It just uh, came off the press, and so we're all going to be all of us that subscribe. You're seeing it any day now.
1: You lovely people that subscribe and help us. We
0: need you. We We do, actually. How many subscribers do you have right now?
1: We have about 5,000 subscribers, and we have um, shops all over the world. We have subscribers in 77 countries now, and we we then supply things like. um, stores all over North America um, both health food stores and bookstores as well and then we have our online um, business which is which some you know which is in pounds Sterling and then we have a very close working relationship with Chelsea Green from Vermont, the publishers there and they either take our books and, and publish them for specifically for an American audience, or we send them out to the States and they distribute them. And we've been publishing books on permaculture since about 1993. So we're old-timers of this, Paul.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've got your systems down. So... <clears throat> Uh now now 5000 subscribers and and how many copies of the magazine do you suppose you have in stores and stuff
1: Oh okay so we we print about 22000 copies and and we've done a few reader surveys now and we know because a lot go into libraries and universities and people share their copy so we know that about five times that amount of people read the magazine, and we honestly don't pulp many at all. So, in fact, we never pulp the magazine. We just, you know, people just buy the back issues um, for, for some years. So we reckon we've got about 100,000 readers.
0: Wow. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. And it's yeah. quarterly right now, right?
1: It is quarterly, and then we have a, a website which is kind of like Permaculture Magazine online, and that's updated most days. We post interesting stuff, news, photographs. I've going to do a little write-up of the Google beds for you and and post some of my photographs from Portugal visit um, and then let you know about that and uh, you can take that. So, um, yes,
0: that would be awesome.
1: I'm just about to launch a blog tomorrow, which was the 15th of April. Uh, with Mother Earth News, which is all about, it's going to be all about permaculture and all the sort of fantastic people I meet and the things I see and all the clever things people do, including the marvellous Set Holzer, of course. And, um, you mm-hmm. know, stories probably of when, when I met David Holgram and he came and lived in our house for oh, about ten days and I had a, a kind of morning till night permaculture design course and reading the landscape. You know, just from the moment I woke up to the moment I managed to go to bed and go to sleep. Because Dave is fantastic. He is, uh, you know, a, a big brain. So I'm going to tell stories of uh, Mother as well as, on, you know, Pum Culture Online as well.
0: So um, uh, I, I think that you would fit Mother really well. Um, uh, I know that I tried to submit an article to them a long time ago, and they felt that it wasn't in Mother's voice. Yeah, what they told me. yeah and,
1: maybe their voice is altering. Or maybe you're just too <laughs> wild, Paul.
0: Are you just too wild? Well, I'm not a. Perhaps I, I felt when I was reading it, I thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not female, I'm not mother, I'm just <laughs> some giant doofus. And so uh, uh, they, they did ask me to, to modify some article into some other format, and I just never got around to it. Um, yeah. But uh, but yes, that's great that the permaculture word. I mean, Mother Earth News that that gets a, a, a lot into a lot more stores than Permaculture Magazine. Now I've seen Permaculture Magazine yeah. here in the United States in a lot of places, yeah. and uh, but I see Mother Earth News in a lot more places. Absolutely. So that would be really great to be getting uh, the permaculture word spread more, especially the works of the mighty, the glorious, the amazing Sepulcher.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, I mean, Mother mother are are vast compared to us, you know, we are small minnows in in the pond compared to the great trout of Mother, but, um, you know, we're we're coming along, we're coming along, but we we are very keen to um, talk to an American audience, and also in in this issue that I'm, that we've just published this week, That's we... On its way over to the, to the States, we have an article called The Eight Forms of Capital. And it's actually Ethan C. Rowland, Ethan Appleseed, writing about designing financial systems like an ecosystem. And it's looking at all eight forms of wealth, not just money. So, so you know, this is really, in essence, where Seth Holzer is, is that he is very astute um, he does have an understanding of diversifying farm income, but he has the most incredible grasp of ecological capital, of the capacity of mother nature to be abundant and to provide. and And he he's very simple about it. It's, it's an extraordinary man because, you know, he doesn't come across in the least bit mystical. As you know, he's he's a he's a you know he's a farmer. And yet, he has this capacity to read landscape and understand it in a way that I think is unique. I really agree with you that he is a unique voice. It's
0: it's It's pure. (laughs) He has a very pure way of thinking. And and not only that, I mean, it's it's very simple in a way. Um, uh, It seems like lately I've been doing a lot of videos and podcasts about Fukuoka. And it's amazing how Holzer and Fukuoka's works are very aligned and, um, and both of them, I believe, start... I mean, it, their, their stuff ends up being very simple in that it's like yes. you watch, you observe nature, and you basically try to do it the way nature does it. And, and um, lately I've been kind of coming up with the idea that it's about choreography. It's about um, uh, being developing a symbiotic relationship with nature. Na- if you leave nature alone, nature does one thing, and then, if you give nature just the slightest bit of nudges, then then great big amazing things. Na- like nature, nature appreciates it and rewards you, and and and, uh, and and expresses how much nature loves that little nudge. But it's got to be just the right kind of nudge. And I think <laughs> Sep is clearly the master at it. He and is. And uh, Fukuoka, um <clears throat> may he rest in peace, was uh, a great master in this space also. And I'm, I'm so glad that, that Sepp's, you know, here and sharing, and, and we're all able to move forward so much faster uh, with, with this stuff. But it's, it's this tiniest amount of, of something or another that gets it so that nature just becomes abundant and thrives and makes us all so happy.
1: Yeah, and and I think you know the way our little garden, which is you know tiny in comparison to what I saw in Portugal, but it's about half an acre in total. But it's a completely unsprayed, totally organic, um, very there's there's hardly any problem between pests because there are there's such a good balance between pest and predator. We've got some very rare species in this little garden. Um, because of the way it's being planted. It's totally naturalistic. It's completely full of abundant wildflowers and native flora that's mixed up with all the edibles. And it's very, very low maintenance. And and we have a wonderful amount of reptiles and mammals that, that come into the garden and eat up all of our pests so that we have great organic, Fruit system. Um, it works really, really well, and and I just know from our experience that this can be replicated on a very, very small scale to to larger scale farm system. I, you know, I've seen it in farms in in the UK, and I've I've done it with. You know, we've taken what was a bare field with no topsoil uh, that we bought from the local farmer, and it had been plowed and sprayed and, you know, it had chemical fertilizer poured all over it for years, and gradually we've, we've restored it into this very biodiverse and abundant landscape, and, you know, I kind of feel like if we can do it, anyone can do it, because I didn't start life as a gardener.
0: Oh, okay, Now, now you're leading me into, you started life as a...
1: I grew up in London, um, and, you, you know, I, I didn't have a rural childhood. I didn't grow up on the farm, and uh, my mother, my father is was, was a, bit, a good gardener, but um, my mother never was, and we, d- we didn't grow any food when I was a kid. Uh, you know, we accidentally had a cherry tree down the garden, but, but that was about the only edible that, that we had in the garden. So, I mean, you know, my life was very urban and not at all based on, on sort of small holding or self-sufficiency or, or farming or even organic gardening. I had to learn everything uh, by, by trial and error. And when we started publishing permaculture books, they were all Australian. Before 1993, there was no... Uh, northern Hemisphere permaculture books in existence. So we had to, you know, with people like Ben Law, the woodland guy, um, and Patrick Whitefield, who wrote the Earth Care Manual, um, we, took, we were planting a forest garden at the time, and we said, Patrick, we've really got to publish a book on forest gardening for northern temperate climates because everything's subtropical and the sun's the wrong way around in Australia. And they've all got so much, you know, it's just a completely different world. The plants are different. The, all the orientations are different. It, it, you know, there's no... The principles of observing nature and doing all these fine permaculture things are the same. But how do you actually implement it in, in a northern temperate climate? I was taught permaculture design by an Australian. And um, I had to go away... And totally learn my edibles from scratch that suited my climate. So, so that was where we were in about 1993. We were at the total beginning of trying to get this material into, into our climatic zones and, and into our sort of, you know, sun, solar orientation and Understand permaculture applied to completely different types of landscape with different, totally different plants.
0: So now I'm really curious. You, you, you're talking a little bit about when you're a little girl in London, and yeah. then suddenly we we jump up to like uh, you know permaculture stuff uh, and <laughs> and cranking out books and whatnot. And yes, so I uh, imagine. <laughs> Somewhere in there, you were, uh, you know, all about the London thing and stuff, and, and then all of a sudden you're like, I want to plant a tomato or something like that. You've got – suddenly you want to do something in the world of horticulture, and I want to okay. hear about that that point in time. And then I want to hear about the point in time where you got to the permaculture stuff.
1: Okay. Well, what happened was I, – so I grew up in London, and – um, my parents left London when I was about 10, 11. But, you know, I am English, so I had to go to boarding school, you know, as we do. And
0: Is that so, where they hit you with boards?
1: <laughs> they, they certainly hit you with being boring, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> and I had a real passion for literature. So I went um, to university and I read English literature, but... I was a bit of a funky little dude in those days, and I decided that much though I loved Shakespeare and the 19th century English novel, I thought that this post-war American fiction was so cool. So a big chunk of my degree was American literature, and I studied the beats, and I read books like another country, and I looked at literature in terms of social justice. And I was brought up by Quakers, so I'd already been sort of imbued with ideas of equality and social justice. And I was really interested in the sort of flowering of post-war American literature and what that brought really to the global literary movement. So I did this degree in uh, English and American Literature and uh, I loved Allen Ginsberg. I loved the, um, the anarchic nature of the Beats. And, and then I kind of got to a point where I was going to do a master's and I thought, I cannot live in this ivory tower anymore. You know, I need to get out there in the world. So I left uh, university and I started a, um, a, a whole food shop. So completely organic, you know, Brown rice beans, interesting macrobiotic food. I started that in a Portsmouth, which is on the south coast uh, by the sea, in the south of England, and it was the only shop of its kind in the whole area. Um, it was, you know, there was only about three shops like that outside London in the south of Britain. You know, it was kind of quite wild in those days, and um, so I really got into organic and all this whole concept of um, organic farming and healthy whole foods and and the like. and So it was then a natural step that I then became really interested in in complementary medicine, so herbalism, homeopathy, acupuncture, and also um, some aspects of the personal work, um, psychological stuff. Um, you know healing the mind as well as the body so I trained as a psychotherapist and then I thought well it's all very well living in your head but what about the planet because this planet is obviously in, in need of you know support and appreciation so I got into conservation and I became a journalist and I started writing stuff about conservation and you know, green material. And, and then, this was by about 1990, permaculture came along. Tim, my husband, discovered permaculture. He watched a film uh, which was In Great Danger of Falling Food with Bill Mollison. And it was kind of like someone had injected him with some kind of mind virus because he kind of turned around to me. We just had a baby who was about one year old and said, right, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna plant wild flowers and I'm gonna create habitats, but I'm gonna have an edible landscape all at the same time and I'm gonna grow food and and you know, this is gonna be it. And and he was completely and utterly in love. In love with the vision of um food falling from trees around him that he had planted and and i kind of thought oh god i don't want to do that
0: (laughs) i don't want to be a bloody farmer's wife up up to that point you hadn't planted anything no not well you know
1: maybe the odd tomato plant in a grow bag or something you know in my urban garden
0: but no i'm useless (laughs) <laughs> then, Tim sees this show, yeah. and next thing you know, this is how you're going to live your life, whether you like it or not.
1: This is the end of everything as you've known it. This is this is <laughs> it now. Everything is going to change. And I, there I am with a little baby who's about one year old, you know, a mummy, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what's happened to the man who's gone mad? <laughs> and he had, of course... <laughs>
0: Oh, <laughs> so, so you're starting to formulate a plan b you're like okay i'll I'll phone it in for this thing but <laughs> but I'm getting ready i'm gonna i'm gonna start getting ready for the the exit plan here <laughs> for when this thing does a face plant <laughs> that that kind of thing okay. so uh but but the key is is that you started permaculture at the same time you started gardening, yeah oh
1: yeah in in a serious way yes yes i had we had to learn everything. We had to learn, you know, we also started publishing. Um, Tim was working for a publisher and I was editing, but we didn't have, you know, layout skills. We didn't know how to actually, you know, I knew how to edit books and, and Tim knew how to sell them in shops and get authors to write things, but to actually, you know, make your own typeset book, and this is fairly sort of unsophisticated Mac technology, at this time, and we did still use scissors and paper and glue.
0: <laughs> glue, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was there for some of that. I remember the glue.
1: <laughs> I sound so old. So yeah, we still, you know, we 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 had a very very basic Apple Mac, and we just taught ourselves. We thought, you know, we've got to do it. Who else is going to do it? No one else was doing it. No one else was had. Realise, I mean, we had authors. We met Ken Fern from Plants for the Future, published his book. As, as I said, we've published about, I can't remember how many Patrick Whitefield books, maybe five or so. We've published, um, gosh, four Ben Law books now about roundwood timber framing and the woodland way and all those sort of permaculture small forest books. Um, and oh I, c- I can't even remember half the things we've done, but we, we had to teach ourselves everything we'd never run a publishing company we we weren't we didn't have an MBA in business studies y- you know we basically y- you have a vision and you have to you have to find the skills somehow
0: <laughs> So let's see <clears throat> I've got the woodland year
2: yeah Ben lost.
0: Yes, and uh, I, I've got the the Woodland Way, and yes. then, um, and then I've got this one here that that you just sent me, uh, Roundwood Timber Framing, which I've only yeah. browsed so far, and I feel so bad, but I've been taking the time to do podcasts and things instead of reading the lovely books you But I have looked at Seth Holzer's book. Now that's three yes. books by Ben Law, and you just said there's four. Now I'm just dying to know what the um, fourth one is.
1: There's also, there's also the book all about when he built his house called the Woodland House. And that was shown oh, right. on um, Extreme Houses in, in North America, on, on the TV show Extreme Houses. Because it, oh. it, it, he didn't need a dumpster or anything. Everything came out of the wood. Everything was natural and organic. And anything that he didn't use... He, he lit the fire with afterwards, you know, the offcuts and so forth. You know, it was the most, probably one of the most ecological builds I've ever seen in my life. And beautifully aesthetic as well. And um, if you Google, if you go to YouTube and you look for Ben Law, uh, the Woodland House, you can see the whole film that's been watched by millions of people um, Actually, all over the world, it's called Grand Designs, and it's all about building your own house, and there's, there's his episode there, and he, five million people have seen it alone, and he is—he started life as a permaculture teacher um, in relationship to woodland forests. He's an amazing guy. and uh... He's as brilliant as Seth Holzer in his own right.
0: I, I have to admit that when I read his books, that um, they are amazing, and and you know I, I do think that if I ever come to Europe, that not only you know of course the first stop has to be to see Seth Poulter, yeah. but I I do think that I would very much like to, to see Ben Law's stuff next. Um, I, uh, I when I read his stuff, it's 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 uh, I don't know, it, it just seems like. It, it's it, it is it's I, in fact when I, I i have an article about uh I call it wafadi uh it's a special kind of an eco building and the w in wafadi is for woodland and it and it's it's totally a tip of the hat to um to ben law because uh instead of referring to it as a forest because a forest seems like something that you use a forest is where you know anymore by today's standards, at least here in the United States. When I hear the word forest, I think that there's a guy that's a forester, and and the forester is going to just try and get as much wood of that land as he can, and then when he harvests it, it's with great big equipment and 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 that kind of thing. Whereas. Woodland is is like to me. I, I see Ben Law when I hear the word word woodland now, and I have a, a, a picture in my head of a guy that's that's in a woodland, um, and and he lives there with the trees, and he has a symbiotic relationship with the trees, and he helps the trees, and the trees help him, and he's got a thousand different little things that he does. That 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 is a, a a wonderful example of choreography between a human being and nature, which I think is a, a big part of uh, what permaculture is.
1: I, I think um, the, the
0: books are fantastic.
1: And what fascinates me about Ben is that he he you know he, he it is a forest farm in essence, but what, as he recoppices and brings that woodland which has been neglected since before the second world war back into rotation he brings in all these habitats so he now has you know he has nightingales nesting there which are very rare in the south of england he has rare butterflies that are coming back in because the flora is improved you know he he he's his actual woodland is a special site of scientific interest um so it's it's got a preservation order on it because he has such rare likings growing there. And so he's a complete example of how you can farm the land and as you say, live in deep symbiosis. And I love going to see him because I see, you know, every year he does tours, day tours and he teaches courses there. He teaches at the Sustainability Centre which is just near here where I, I, I live. Um, But what I see from him is that every year he's added some new dimension to the woodland um, and there's always room for innovation. So he's got that wonderful capacity, like Sepp Holzer, to put that permaculture um, principle really in the fore about thinking creatively, that the, the more creative we are, the more diversity we create. And, and so, you know, yields are only limited by our imagination, and he has huge imagination. It's, it's very inspiring, and actually I think I'm one of the luckiest people in the world to, to get to meet and work with the, these very inspiring people who are so creative, so clever. You know, I, I'm honoured, I feel honoured and grateful for my life.
0: Uh you, you are sitting on a pile of really amazing stuff. Uh you mentioned Patrick Whitefield earlier. Um I, I read his permaculture in a nutshell book ages and ages ago. Yeah. And 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 that really kind of um uh, got you know, helped to get me started. I mean the first permaculture book that I ever had was Mollison's book.
2: Yes.
0: Um, the big black one. Yeah. Um, and, but then after that, I'm, I'm quickly eating them all up. And, and Whitefield's uh, was probably the second or third. And then later, the Earth Care Manual. Um, I, I've actually never uh, owned that book. But uh, when I took my permaculture design course in 2005, the book had just come out. And um, they had a copy there. And, and instead of like paying attention to what I was supposed to be paying attention to, mm-hmm. I was pouring through that book. I read it twice during the course. And um, uh, I know that as I go out and I advise people and I visit farms and stuff like that, I tell them that they need to get the book and that there's two important parts in the book to, to refer to. One is is, is the, he's got these two pictures in the book uh, next to each other. And uh, the idea is, is here's trees planted at the same time three years earlier. And in the second picture, we mulched the trees. And they're like, you know, it's this big lush jungle. And then in the first picture, the trees look like you know new trees, and and so um, excellent, excellent example of just the power of a little bit of mulch. Um, and then the other one is is that he, I, I'm really glad that he brought up the point of how some permaculture folks do not like to use the cardboard and newspaper because I'm one of those people, mm. and I know Sepp Holzer uses the cardboard and newspaper. Uh, Paul Stamets uses the cardboard and newspaper. So uh, I? Bill Mollison uses the cardboard and newspaper. You use the cardboard and newspaper. Magic. I don't. I'm and then and so I, I got so I felt like I got a little respect out of Whitefield's book where he said some some permaculture people are not into it. They, and they have the, they have their reasons why. Hmm. And that's that could fill another podcast pa- podcast as to why. <laughs> but um, but I'm, I'm very much against using uh, uh, cardboard or newspaper in, in my permaculture stuff. And I'm so glad that he... So, so it's like uh, validation, recognition yeah. that that there, there is there is a variation there. But we're all still in the permaculture. There's just a few of us don't like that one thing. Uh,
1: uh, can I um, just tell you another thing about Patrick, which I think stems from that, is uh, if I had to tell you two things, actually, about Patrick. Firstly, he understands and teaches that permaculture is still in the state of experimentation and there are no absolutes so you know in very damp climates for instance cardboard and newspaper is a disaster because you just grow slugs and then they eat everything and you don't have any food so i mean you know patrick is really pragmatic and he grew up Um, farming, and he's a a gardener, he grows a lot of his own food, so he really writes from his uh, capacity for observation, but also his own experience, and that's really useful. And the other thing I love about Patrick is he has a massive sense of humour, and so does Ben Law, and, you know, they are very clever, creative people, but they're also have great sense of humour and you can tease them. And I think that's a, a wonderful, um, you know, they don't take themselves so seriously that, that they can't have fun poked at them. And that makes me, you know, that we have good laughs together and I think that's also important that, you know, permaculture is very, very important, but we also have to have fun. And I know that you are a man that advocates having fun. <laughs>
0: And so, uh, so you've, you've read some of my stuff, have you? Absolutely. Uh, i am actually paying attention to what I'm doing.
1: Oh, I (laughs) have. dot
0: com is fun. So, uh, um, now your website is permaculture.co.uk. And now, and currently you guys put something new out there pretty much every day.
1: Absolutely. And then we have, we have a Facebook page. Um, so if you just look for Permaculture Magazine, we've got about 6,000 friends on, on that page. And again, we, we post most days and we tell people about sort of free downloads and interesting articles and, you know, little nice YouTube clips that we like and podcasts good podcasts and
2: stuff <laughs> like that. So, uh,
1: and our readers, you know, our, our friends on that page also share good resources as well. So it's very much a good community. So we're sort of building as many different medias as possible. We make films as well. So we've made a film about uh, the technique of realm within the framing with Ben Law, and that's available. We've made another film called How to. Um, Natural swimming pools, how to design and uh, make your own. That's it. So, yeah, yeah well,
0: people can't see it, uh, so, I have to, so I've shown it to you. You see that's it, hard. but the yeah.
1: uh, and, you can, see and
0: the, you can see the plastic is still on it. I haven't watched all it
1: biodegradable, yet, of course. And uh, and then we have little film clips on permaculture.co.uk. So, um, you Really, what, what's, what's it all about? Well, in essence, we know that permaculture is one of the big solutions to humanity's problem. We, we know that we can grow enough food. But we know that we can regenerate um, landscape that has been um, destroyed. We know we can re-establish habitat. We know that we can live symbiotically with other species on this planet and we are looking for any means of communicating this positive, inspirational message to people all over the world because mainstream media is a diet of negativity and all the things that the little guy can't do and what we're about is what we can do and I said to you, if anyone can learn to garden, it, it was me. I mean, I... I I'm a London kid, I never grew anything maybe a broad bean in my science class when I was 8 and, and that was about it <laughs> so you know, if Tim and I can now become orchardists and um, create wildlife habitat and publishers that I- invitation is to everyone that we don't have to be an expert we are all empowered to change our life and make it better and, and what you do, Paul, proves that, you know, because you're always sharing creative solutions with people
0: and making it fun. Which is the same thing that you're doing. You and I are doing the, the, the same thing. You're just bigger. <laughs> so, uh,
2: <laughs> I don't know about that. Got, Don't stop trying topic. it. <laughs> <laughs> What's
1: that? I said you've got more traffic to your website, I bet.
0: Oh do I, I I think we have uh last I checked we're we're doing about 6 to 7,000 people a day to permies.com and about 4 to 5,000 a day to richsoil.com and about about 6 to about 6,000 a day uh, to the the YouTube videos. Yeah so you're so, doing a I don't know how, So we're is, is that business. more than what you're doing? Oh
1: yeah, much smaller. We're We're small.
0: Well, when it comes to the the internet stuff, I'm told that that we that I've got the the biggest by far, possibly bigger than all of the other permaculture sites combined. Well,
1: there you are, you're, big. you're big.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, it's, it's it's mighty big, yes ma'am. <laughs> uh, at the same time, I don't have a book or a magazine, and you've got a big heap of those. And plus, on top of that, you are right. You get the you get to hang out with these people more than I do. Um, although now where I'm at I get to hang out we've got we've got some big permaculture people out in the pacific Northwest of the United States and I, I get to visit with these people pretty well and then they're in my videos and and uh it's been it's it and in fact the now that my websites are getting big more of these people are willing to talk to me <laughs> and visit with me it's been so fun um but i I agree with you that it's it's like uh uh, I was shocked when I learned about permaculture, and and I was kind of feeling like, why don't more people know about this? And next thing you know, I just I just can't stop myself. I've got to try and and convey this stuff to as many people as possible. And it sounds like you are in the same boat, you know. And 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 it sounds like you were kind of drugged into it, a little bit, kicking and screaming. But I I my start was a little bit like Tim's start, where it's kind of like. Uh, um, this is awesome, this is spectacular, <laughs> I, I, I have to do this, yeah. uh, the rest of my life. Well, for him, it I, was a
1: road right to Damascus experience, you know, when St. Paul had his revelations, it was very similar for Tim. It was like an absolute revelation. He suddenly could see the world in completely different terms, and it turned his world upside down in, in the most positive way. I, I just took a little bit longer, and I had to go and do a full two-week permaculture design course and, you know, get my head around it on a technical level. And then I came out and I looked at the landscape and I saw the landscape in terms of patterns. And I, I had an insight into that pattern language.
0: Ah, you're, you're a pattern person. Well, now it sounds to me like your story is a more important story in that you were very skeptical and you kept your skepticism, and you were convinced. In the end, you were convinced, and then suddenly, then the lights all turned on. Yeah. That sound accurate?
1: But but I had to do trial and error as well. You know, we've had to. I've spent you know, probably 20 years now planting and gardening, and 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 I'm I'm happy now that I can see how the systems work. Um, but I, you know, I I think. Permaculture is, I think it's an amazing um, insight, but like you said earlier, we need to document, quantify, um, and understand it as, as much scientifically as anecdotally. And, and that will come. That will come. I mean, already a lot of universities are studying permaculture in the States and in, in Europe, and it, it will all. You know, slowly it will come. We're just fighting well, a tide, you know, of industrial agriculture at the moment. But but oil's going to run out in, in time, and that we will have no choice but to embrace a different way of doing things.
0: Well, that's that's a, a good point. Um, uh, kind of depressing, but but a good point. Um, <laughs> I I like the idea that um, um, people can use logic and reason to move permaculture forward, and that they don't. I mean, if nothing else, you can make more money. And I and and so rather than like uh, waiting until we run out of oil to say, well, now I'm boned. I guess I have to use permaculture because there's nothing left. Uh, Rather rather than doing that, I kind of like the idea of hearing people say, well, let's see that Sepulter guy. He's making big bucks. Um Maybe I should do some of the stuff that he 's doing, and then i 'll make big money too
1: absolutely it 's all I mean, about quality <laughs> life Paul as well it's like you know you save money you eat you have better food for your family you have a more energy efficient house you buy less mains energy and power, you know power off the grid you, you know, you're, you're building a greater Independence, a greater sense of resilience and more community connections. You know, it's a whole web of beneficial relationships and it is extremely positive and, and very life-enhancing. And it's fun. I mean, I know some of it's quite serious um, and we can get into the sort of technologies of it, but fundamentally, you know, I play at the weekends. I, I do my publishing work in the week And then I have big playtime in the weekends. And I play outside, cook outside, plant plants, harvest, watch nature, hang out with my friends. I mean, it's it's wonderful. Go foraging in the woodlands, pick mushrooms, find wild garlic. I mean, it's it's a joyful life.
0: It is. It is. So, um, Maddie, your, uh, of course, Permaculture Magazine, and we talked a yeah. bit about Permaculture Magazine. Yes. Um, a, 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 big mountain of books, including Sepp Holzer's, uh, recently translated, uh, Sepp Holzer's Permaculture book, um, which is awesome. And, um, <clears throat> and I saw that, now, is that a piece of the book that was in the last issue of Permaculture Magazine? That's right. Or did he write a whole fresh article? There? No, that,
1: that was from the book. Um, and the in the next, in the latest magazine, which is on its way to you, Paul, um, there's a whole Google culture article as you <laughs> would <laughs> wish for. With love, to
0: it. <laughs> you have listen, You haven't listened to my stuff. I just love that word.
1: <laughs> I love Google culture. Um, yeah. So that's coming, and Seth's just written a new book as well and we hope to get that translated in, in the next six months. Um, that, that's our aim, and that's all about water in the landscape. Um, so, so that's really, it's, it's more set, really. Um, yeah, so that, and we have other things in the pipeline. But
0: Now, I know that in a past issue of uh, Permaculture Magazine, I read about rocket stoves. Yeah. <clears throat> and and now I don't remember ever having read anything about rocket mass heaters. Ah,
1: that, that's a very good point. Um, we probably ought to run an article on rocket rocket mass heaters. And um, we do articles on transi- transition movement. And we have an article in the next issue all about uh, re-greening the Sahara. You know, a real serious sandy desert there. That-
2: wow this is
1: by this is a story of an extraordinary man who is creating oases uh, or oases in, in the Sahel which is the edge of the Sahara all the way down that strip it's a brilliant story um, we have articles on heritage crafts and how to make money doing traditional crafts with lots of tips from uh, you know experts and we even have an article all about the low-maintenance tree bog, which is a sort of funky compost loo. Um,
0: right. Yeah. We have a huge thread about that on permies.com yeah. uh, called Dry Outhouse versus Tree Bog. Yeah. And, and we actually talk about the idea of combining the two ideas. Right. But, yeah, tree bog, awesome. In fact, here in Missoula, Montana, they're doing an interesting thing where the local sewage system is pulling out the, the the chunky bits at the end and putting them out on uh, cottonwood and and poplar trees oh. um, and in an effort to do something kind of like a tree bog yeah. which of course uses willow trees yeah and so um uh, it's it's a brilliant idea it 's it's, it's really the way of the future the way that you know even even public systems should be doing things
2: well
1: this is this is a public tree bog it 's at the sustainability center, which is an educational um it's an education centre, and, and instead of using willow, we've put the tree bog in a beech woodland, so in an English broadleaf woodland, and all the solids and, you know, all the nutrients are being sucked out and are feeding the growth of our woodland, so, and that's a, it's for the public to visit and offer their nitrogen to.
0: <laughs> I I refer I refer to that cuz there are certain tree species that'll do it and certain tree species that won't do it. Yeah. And there's other plant species that'll also do it, but it's really the tree species that you want. Mm. And then um we refer to the at least on permies.com, we have a thread there where we where we talk about what species will work and what species won't work. And we the ones that do work, we call them poop beasts. <laughs> and so there so yeah, must
2: go look at these poop
0: beasts. poop beasts. <laughs> You know, so you got to make sure that when you're planting the trees around your tree bog, that they're poop beasts. Otherwise, the the trees will be all kind of like, Ew, ew, I can't touch that. And then other trees are like, Ha, give me some of that. I'm in. And they'll they'll put their roots right into it. Gobble it up. So, all right. I'm trying to wrap this thing up here. (laughs) And we want to talk about other things. We did. And so, so... Permaculture.co.uk yeah. is is your guys' site. Now, we've got a thread at Permes.com which is dedicated to Permaculture Magazine. And oh, um, uh, I think we've got to get a lot more going on there. And, of course, we have a thread dedicated to uh, Sepp's new book coming out. And um, I, I, I know we've got at least I'm, – I'm pretty sure we've got a thread dedicated to the works of the amazing Ben Law. Oh. Um, and, and, uh, it seems like, and in fact, we've got the whole forum. I made, I, 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 I spun off a whole forum just out of, like, respect to Ben and, uh, uh, called Woodland Care. And, um, it's, it's like Ben Lawville, you know, and, uh, and and uh, he's never come by or no, anything. I mean I made Bin Binlaw bait, but no, he never showed up. <laughs> uh, uh but I'll, but I'll uh let you um, to
1: secret. He's he has he doesn't have a a telephone line that connects his internet up properly. He he has to use a, a <laughs> cell phone and it's terrible. So he can never hang out on forums or Skype or anything.
0: It, it's it's hard to imagine him spending much time online uh, I mean he's you I mean you just when you look at his books he's just doing so much stuff that's just so cool uh, and and I'm really jealous I mean hey there you are on the same island you get to go and, and hang with him whenever you want how cool is that um, I've gotta come over there sometime um, so you the 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 magazine, the big mountain of books. Now, what's what's the website? Because now you've got all your books, and you got a bunch of other stuff. It's all sold on a different website. Oh, and we can't forget to talk about Sepp Holzer's DVD. I mean, the 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 one that's got the the three the three shows on one DVD. There's uh, farming with nature, yeah. aquaculture, yeah. and uh, raised beds yeah. and terraces. Yeah. And, and, uh, um, so it's got those three on one, and it's called the three in one DVD, yeah. and you've got it on it your did. site, and it's the only place yes. I've been yeah. able to find it for sale yeah. anywhere. And that's and and that I think that that if I if I had to get rid of every book and DVD that I own, get rid of all of them, and I get to keep only one, that would be the one thing I would keep. That I've watched that DVD Probably thirty-five How times, nice. and and it's and I just really think that that's it's like uh, you know what we're all about and what we're doing and and why and it's all in that. I mean, if you so if you could only have just one mm-hmm. thing, it's got to be that DVD. And as far as I know, you're the only person who okay, sells. it. Okay.
1: Well, if you put into Google green shopping. You'll get a website called www.green-shopping.co.uk. And we put into the search engine on the front page, Sepp Holzer. You'll get all his books and DVDs right in front of you. You can see little clips from YouTube, um, but they're all there. And, uh, yeah, we have okay. stock. So So that's yeah and if you go to permaculture.co.uk you'll see in the menu at the top Greed shopping you can press it from there too so so it's pretty easy the search
0: engines are good on the site yeah. well i made a link to it from Permis. well lovely so we've got the you know we've got the the one uh the thread that uh, i can't remember what it's called but it's it's like somebody's trying to get their Sepp Holzer fix or something like that. And and uh, and so it's got links to all of that stuff. And I made sure there was a link to the DVD and, as well as the brand-new book. And um, uh, so we'll we'll try. And if, if we can come up with, if there's anything else that we can do to make links to your stuff, just say the word and we'll get you set up. But much like what you're doing where you... Uh, find all of the persuasive bits of permaculture and share them willy-nilly. We try to do the same kind of thing. And, and, um, and by we, it's it's me and a, and, and a few hundred people, uh, volunteers, just you know as they find bits of interesting stuff, putting them up. Anytime you guys got anything new to say about what's going on out there at Permaculture Magazine or at permaculture.co.uk or that you got a new product out there at, at your green shopping site, please come out and post it at permies.com. Thank you
1: very much. We will. Lovely.
0: Excellent. Okay. And I'll probably end up polluting your Facebook page uh, with my stuff periodically as I think about it. I had no idea you had 6,000 people out there, and and, and, and now you, you've made the mistake of mentioning it to me. And, and now you won't well, be able to get rid someone's
2: of someone's <laughs> already
1: posted something from HermesCock.com yesterday on the Facebook page. So it wasn't you. It was a, <laughs> a, a, a woman, and I can't remember her name. So, yeah, you're welcome.
0: Oh, great. Awesome. That's even better. I don't even have to do any work. <laughs> yeah, someone else <laughs> will do it for you, Paul. Okay. Um, uh, um, if you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at Hermes.com where we talk about uh, Ben Law and Patrick Whitefield and, of course, the mighty, the amazing, the glorious Sepp all the time.